You're listening to the Jewel City Podcast. To help us spread the gospel of Jesus, give us a five-star rating. That'll help others find this podcast. In this podcast, we're diving into the book of Revelations with Lynn Cleland. Just remain standing. Go ahead and give God a, a great hand clap of praise. And also, let's welcome Lynn Cleland. Lynn, come. Amen. And stretch out your hand this way. Father, we just bless you, God. And we thank you, Lord, for this uh, servant of yours, God. I pray, Lord, tonight that you anoint him. God, I know that he studied to show himself approved, God. I pray that you calm any nerves tonight, God, that you loose his tongue, that everything that he says, God, would come from the portals of heaven. I pray, God, for each one uh, that is listening tonight, that we would have a heart and an ear to hear, God, in Jesus' name. God bless. Give it God another hand while you're being seated. Amen. Go ahead, brother. Somebody say, get ready. ready. Come on. Say it like you mean it. Get ready. So good to be here tonight. So good to be here. I think the way we're going to do this, just to do a little bit of housekeeping before I get started, is I'm going to speak for about 45 minutes or so. And, uh, and then we'll have 15 minutes of questions and answers. Uh, something new, I think. I don't know that we've done that here before, Pastor. <clears throat> it's, it's been a journey, church. It's been a journey. Uh, about eight years ago at a church I used to attend before I started coming here to Jewel City, I was a Bible class teacher. And I rotated with a couple other gentlemen for nine weeks. And at the end of one of my nine weeks Bible study, I walked to the foyer of the church and the, the leaders were standing out front and they said, Lynn, what are you going to talk about next? I'd never given it any thought. But someone in the background said, how about Revelation? And they chuckled a little bit. And that hit me. It was a gut punch because mom and dad had raised me in the church, just like pastor always says, I had a drug problem. Mom and dad drugged me to church. And so on my way home, I thought to myself, well, something's not right here. I've been going to church my whole life and I don't know a thing about that last book. That's not right. It's part of God's word. Why don't I know anything about that last book. So when I went home, I began speaking to God. God, what did you mean by this last book? Tell me. Tell me everything. Why did you put it in there? He only had one purpose. He could only have one purpose of putting that book in his word. And so at that point, eight years ago, until where I stand with you tonight, I've been walking and talking with God about this last book called Revelation. And if you ever approach God and ask him to tell you something, get ready. If you're serious, he's serious. And he will tell you what he means when you ask him a question. The first scripture that came to mind was a scripture found in 2 Corinthians, and I didn't give this to the media. But it says that God is not an author of confusion. So that told me that that book, if I read it and try to understand it, I can't be confused because God didn't put it there for us to be confused. He wants us to know his word. Pastor uh, alluded to this scripture this morning in the little book of Hosea. It says, God says, my people, they perish. And somebody just said it. Why do they perish? Because of their lack of knowledge. And you know, that spoke to me. God says, because you don't have knowledge, you perish because you don't know the consequences of your sin. We have a world that we're living in, church, that doesn't understand the consequences of their sins. We know there's a consequence. 
We can reach all the way back to the beginning in the book of Genesis. Adam and Eve have a consequence for the sin they committed. We move a little further to Noah. God told Noah, Noah, I'm going to destroy everybody. Noah said, hold hold on a second, God, hold on a second. God says, because man in his heart is always wicked, I'm going to destroy everyone, a consequence for their sin. You move a little further, Sodom and Gomorrah. There was a consequence for those cities being as wicked as they were. And so as we move through the Bible, we get into the New Testament, everything that we do, there's a consequence for our sins. And that consequence is found right here in the book of Revelation. Here's what God said he's going to do. I'm just going to give it to you. This pastor always says, gun barrel straight. God's going to bring the Jews, the nation of Israel, the unbelieving Jews, and the unbelieving Gentiles, we're Gentiles, into judgment. And it's found in this last book. That's what this last book is all about. When you read this last book, it's God's judgment. Just like the judgment that I spoke about previously on man's sin. But this judgment is going to be unlike any other judgment. And I'm going to show you that in a little bit that we've ever seen before. Church, what we're seeing now in the world, the events you see taking place, these are what is called shadows, front runners of what's about to happen. That's what you're seeing. It's going to be ugly. And I wanted to start tonight and offer an altar call because that's the importance. The return of Christ is imminent. It's imminent. You can see it. Jesus said we would see the signs, and when we see the signs, what did he say we should do? Look up because your redemption draws nigh. Revelation is one of the books of God's words that's very seldom read. Nobody reads it. I'll just be honest with you. I could go around and ask for a show of hands, and probably most of you wouldn't raise your hand. And sadly, the church doesn't talk about it either. Most churches don't talk about Revelation. And guess what? That's exactly what Satan wants. He doesn't want you to talk about Revelation. You know why? Glad you asked me that. Because in Revelation, he's destroyed. God puts him on a chain for a thousand years, takes him off the chain a little bit, and then he destroys him. Puts him right where he belongs, right into the pits of hell. He's not at hell right now. A lot of people don't know that. He's running around, remember, like the lion. He's seeking whom he may devour. He's looking to kill steal, and destroy. That's exactly what you're seeing going on in the world today. So when we look at the book of Revelation, we see lots of symbols and we see numbers. I was just speaking to Karen before I started. The reason you see symbols and numbers in the book of Revelation is because now God's starting to deal with the nation of Israel again. When you read the Old Testament, don't you see a lot of symbols and numbers? They're all over the place. But all of a sudden, when you get to the New Testament, they go away until you get to the book of Revelation. They come back again. It's because now God, Revelation's a hub. All 65 previous books of God's Word falls into that book. If you don't read Revelation and try to understand Revelation, someone once said, It's like going to a movie and leaving a half hour early. Or reading a good book, and when you get to the last chapter, don't read it. That's what it's like leaving out Revelation. Revelation explains everything previous to it, all 65 books. But here's what God said to me. Lynn, you can't understand that book. Don't try to understand that book unless you understand my 65. 
When you understand my 65, you'll understand 66. Now, that's another gut punch. God's saying, you need to know what I have in my word. Remember, lack of knowledge. My people perish because they don't have knowledge. They don't understand their consequences. So when we get into this book, Revelation, we see all kinds of symbols. We see four horsemen. We see a white horse. We see a black horse. We see a red horse, a pale horse. I wrote these down because there's so many. I, I know them, but I just want to make sure I cover them. Seven candlesticks, seven churches. And we're going to talk about churches, hopefully, next Sunday night in chapters 2 and 3. Four beasts around the throne. What's that mean? 144,000, the mark, 666. You hear that talked about a lot. Scrolls, seven seals, a dragon, a beast, a little horn, seven trumpets, bowls, vials, the battle of Armageddon, Gog and Magog, the great white throne. That's interesting. New heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem. It's spoken of everywhere in the Word of God. All of the Old Testament prophets talk about it. The New Testament writers, they all talk about it. I wrote these verses down, and I didn't want them to bring them up. Isaiah, the 13th chapter, 9 and 10. Malachi, the 4th chapter, verse 5. Daniel, we'll be looking at Daniel a lot in this Bible study. Very important book. Daniel, the 12th chapter, verse 1. Jeremiah, the 30th chapter, verse 7. Joel, the 2nd chapter, verse 31. All of them point to a period of time called the seven years of tribulation. Church, this isn't good. If you're an unbeliever, you're going to go through that. Here's my message tonight. Hopefully everybody here is believers. Go out and tell everybody out there. Go tell them. Ring the bell. Sound the alarm. You're seeing the signs. You see them. You turn on your TV. You watch the news. You're seeing the signs. These are signs. They're shadows. They're front runners of what's about to happen. Viruses. These are front runners. The seven years of tribulation are going to be split up into two, three and a half years. The first three and a half years will be trouble. The second three and a half is called the great tribulation. Literally, hell on earth. I got to tell you something. God's been watching for a long time. He's been watching for a long time. He's been watching from all the way back in Genesis, Rocky. All the way through the Old Testament until we get to the New. He's been watching. He has to watch what we don't see. We only hear about some things. God sees it all. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. You talk about abortion, God sees it happening. He sees it. He watches it. And he's been watching for a long time. The only reason why the Lord, and I believe this, because I've taken the Bible and I've shook it. I shook it as hard as I could. I tipped it up and I shook, I shook the words out. I wanted to put them back together. And God says, because of all this sin, he's about to bring a tribulation upon the earth. And the only reason, church, that I believe that he hasn't come back yet is because there's still someone left. Just like the song that we sang, he's still looking for that one soul. The one soul. And I just believe in my heart, when that last soul gives their life to Christ, that's it. That's, that's what I believe based on what I've read. Now, I know some of you are thinking right now, 
well, I, I don't plan to be here when this happens. I plan to go up with the church when the church is raptured, and we're going to talk about that. And that's good. That's what I believe. But there's a lot of people out there we know that don't know anything, and they're not going to go when Jesus raptures the church. Those are the ones we have to reach. Those are the ones we have to tell what's about to happen. And what's better than to tell somebody and show somebody the Word of God before it actually happened? That validates the Word of God. It's proof. You can show it to them in the Word. And we're going to talk about that tonight, prophecy. I like what Jesus said, the way he describes it, in Matthew, the 24th chapter, 21 and 22. This is one of my favorite verses out in times. This is Jesus speaking. It's in red, so I know it's Jesus speaking. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. I'm reading from a King James Version. Now, this is Jesus talking. He says there's going to be a tribulation that's, been, that's going to happen that's unlike any other. Now, if it's Jesus talking... Let's just reason here a little bit. He knows about the flood, right? He already knows about the flood. He's God. So he says it's going to be worse than that. Okay, he knows that the Holocaust that killed, what, roughly 6 million Jews, something like that, he knows it's going to be worse than that. What, so what's Jesus talking about? He goes on to say, and accept those days, what days, Jesus? Except those days should be shortened, what's he say? There should no flesh be saved. We'll, we'll talk about what he means by that. But for the elect's sake, those days shall, shall be shortened. Jesus is talking about the great tribulation found in Revelation. That's why understanding this book completes the Word of God. Because when you come to verses like this... And you say to yourself, well, what's he talking about? A tribulation period. This is what he's speaking of. It's found in detail in the book of Revelation. Now, here's something else that's interesting. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the tribulation period in their books, all three of them. John doesn't. Why is that? Because he gives us a more detailed account in the book of Revelation. And John was considered who to Jesus? The beloved. He was one of his favorite. So I want to go through some foundation work, if you will, on slides. I have slides. I want to show those. I want to talk a little bit about prophecy. And tonight I want to set the stage, if you will, for the remaining study of the book of Revelation. It's somewhat of a difficult book, so that's why I'm doing this, to help everyone understand what I'm going to talk about in the weeks to come. So prophecy is defined as a prediction of things yet to come. Isn't that awesome that God gives us warning signs? Warning. When you're going down the road, you see a sign flash and it says, hey, slow down. The road's out ahead. You appreciate that, right? This is what God does in his word. He gives us prophecy to warn us of things to come. He's giving you a heads up. The Bible contains about one-third of prophecy. So if you don't like prophecy, about one-third of the Bible, you're not going to read. One-third. 30% of the Bible is prophecy. There's 300, the people that keep numbers, there's 300 accounts of Jesus' arrival. There's about 900 accounts of his second coming. Three times the amount. So I'm pretty sure if they were right on his coming... They're right on his second coming because there's three times the amount of his second arrival. Prophecy validates the word of God. There's all kinds of prophecy that you can read that tells you and validates 
the Bible. And an example of that is in Daniel. Daniel discusses 70 weeks of the Jews during his time, of what's going to take place with the Jews from an angel, if you remember that story. And if you trace all that time frame, it validates when the temple was rebuilt and so on and so on, up until where Jesus arrives. Remember church when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey? Remember that account? Do you remember what happened after he rides in? He goes and he looks over from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem and he cries. And why does he cry? He cries because the Jews said they knew the old law, but they didn't know he was the Messiah. They weren't able to identify from Old Testament scripture that he was on time riding into Jerusalem on a donkey at the exact time. When you study the, the numbers, it's exactly the time Jesus was supposed to ride in as the Messiah. And he cried because they didn't recognize him. They didn't know their word like they said they knew their word. So he wept over the city. And he said as a result, the temple was going to be destroyed. And that's exactly what happens. In 70 AD, the destruction of Jerusalem takes place. In Matthew 24, Jesus will answer three questions that the disciples ask him. He answers all three. When will the end time be? When's your second coming? And when will those stones be overturned? 70 AD, destruction of Jerusalem, temple destroyed. That's prophecy. So when you understand prophecy, you can speak to people. And you can tell them, see here, see what happens here. And they will be amazed. They'll be like, what? I didn't know that. So it validates the word of God. It gives us a warning, a heads up. It provides us hope. Provides hope. In the world we live in today, if you didn't have the word of God, it gives us hope. We know that what we see is going to come to an end. We know there's something better on the other side. So it provides us hope from understanding prophecy. And it also provides us that peace, that peace of mind that God's in control. Just relax, everybody. He's still on the throne. He's in control. There's no need to worry about what you see going on around you. Next, I want to take a look at symbolism. When we go through the book of Revelation, we'll see that Revelation is a picture book. Lots of symbols. Now, these symbols that we're going to look at are symbols, but they're actually talking about something that's literal. Here's a rule for the Bible. The Bible never uses a symbol to speak of something that's not literal. It's always real. It points to something real. It's not fake. They're only using a symbol to describe what's about to take place. It's literal. It's always about a literal event, and that's very important to remember that. They are a symbol of fact. They're fact. When you see a symbol, just because it's a dragon doesn't mean it's not real. The Apostle John used symbols because at the time the church was being heavily persecuted. So because they were per being persecuted, he used symbols so the Roman government wouldn't understand what he was talking about. He didn't want further persecution to take place. So he used symbols to kind of confuse the Roman government. And they don't weaken over time. A beast 2,000 years ago is a still beast today. It, it means the same thing. The, the symbols do not weaken. And then the verse of Matthew 13, 11 through 17, Jesus spoke in parables. Why? Because so those who knew him would understand and those who didn't wouldn't. So now I want to talk about the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is a Greek word, apocalypsis. It's where we get the word apocalypse. Usually when you hear that word, 
it's a movie and something very gory and a whole bunch of stuff going on, very dangerous stuff going on. That's not what the word means. The word means a revelation, an unveiling or an unfolding of things not previously known and would, which could not be known apart from the unveiling. So God's last book is a revelation of things to come. He's given the revelation to Jesus. Jesus is going to take it, hand it to an angel. The angel is going to give it to the apostle John. And John's going to tell us what the book means. It's an opening of the curtain. Jesus is going to open a curtain, if you will, for John. He's going to reveal to him what he wants him to see. Prior to this book, Revelation, in the book of Daniel, God tells Daniel to do what? He tells him to seal up your words until the end. When we get to Revelation, God says, unseal this prophecy. And here's the, probably the most important thing that we all miss. This book is about Jesus Christ. It's a culmination of all the previous 65 books, and it's about King Jesus. Jesus is now in this book in his deity form. He's no longer the Lamb of God, sacrificed on a cross, spit upon, nailed to the cross. He's now resurrected Jesus. And we're going to get to see him in his resurrected body in this book. If you don't look at Revelation, you don't get to see that. When you read Revelation, don't get caught up in the symbols, numbers, or you've missed the point of Revelation. In this book, God places Jesus in full control. He's in charge the entire book. He's King Jesus, King of King, Lord of Lords. He's ruling and he's reigning in this book. In this book, God is about to turn over Jesus is judge now of the world. So we're going to get to see that in this book. He's going to judge not only man, but he's going to judge his church in this book. Jesus died for his church. The church belongs to him. And in this book, we'll see Jesus ruling and presiding over his church and judging his church. And as I said earlier, all 65 previous books fall into this book of Revelation. And here's a really, really good thing I want you to catch. This is the only book in God's Word, the only book that comes with a blessing. So those of you that are here tonight, you're going to receive a blessing because God says you're going to receive a blessing. He says anyone who reads this book, hears it, and applies it. We have to apply God's word to our life. If you do those three, three things, you're going to be blessed. And the book also comes with a curse at the end. At the end, we'll read where Jesus says that he who adds or takes away from the words of this book will be cursed. And why does he do that? Why does he provide a blessing and a curse in his last book? Because it shows us how important this book is to God. This book is very important to God. It's the only prophetic book in the New Testament. The only prophetic book. So the parts that we'll look at in Revelation is the opening in the first chapter, the deity. It'll show the deity of Jesus Christ. Chapters 2 and 3 will be the seven churches, they were seven literal churches that were physically located in Asia Minor at the time, now known to us as Turkey. They were actual churches in John's time. But it also represents, I believe, because it's the number seven, which the number seven in the book of Revelation means complete, completeness. It represents the church age. As we read through these churches, as we study these churches, you'll see how problems that existed then still exist now. So you'll get to see that this is actually a representation of the churches that started 
from the day of Pentecost when Jesus established his church up into where we are now. And this book's about judgment. From chapters 4 to chapters 18, it's judgment. You'll notice that the church will go away after chapters 2 and 3. And then from chapters 4 through 18, we'll see King Jesus in control, judging the world. And then we'll talk about his kingdom that he's going to establish, the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. And then we'll speak of the new Jerusalem. This is the good news. We have to have bad news before we have the good news. The dwelling with the Lord for eternity. So if you have your Bibles, and you should, open them up to the first chapter of Revelation. And I'm going to read from the King James Version. I think it's the best version, in my opinion, uh, when you're discussing this book. If you notice, if your Bibles are like mine, I don't have my real Bible tonight. i got a fake Bible. I have my phone, my iPhone. But at the top where you see the title, Revelation, it should say, if it's accurate, it should say the revelation of Jesus Christ and not St. John the Divine. It should say of Jesus Christ because this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean you throw your Bible away if... If it says St. John the Divine. Okay, let's start reading. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show his servants things which must shortly come to pass. I'll come back to that word shortly. And you'll notice in my study that I'm going to hit on key things that you might hear from others that have a different opinion. And I want to explain that to you. I want you to see it, and I want you to understand it. So that's the first thing, which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and he signified, signified, used symbols, by his angel unto his servant John. John is the last apostle. All the 11 that he was appointed with are gone. They were either martyred or they're dead. And he's on a tiny little island off the coast of Turkey called Patmos. And the Roman government put him there, just to be quite honest with you, to shut him up because of his testimony of Jesus. And the Christians during that time were under heavy persecution. They were being killed left and right by the Roman government. Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. That is so important. Jesus, directly from the Father, receives this revelation. This is right from the throne room. And he takes that revelation, remember what I said earlier, that unveiling, that opening of the curtain. He gives it to an angel. That angel takes it and carries it to John. And the angel tells him, Jesus tells him, you write everything that you see. That's really important. There's so many people that try to change John's words. Let John speak. Because Jesus is telling him, he's the faithful and true witness, Jesus Christ. Write, John, everything that you see. So that's very important to understand. And here we go. Here's our blessing. Blessed is he that readeth. And they that hear the words of this prophecy. So you're in luck. Everybody that came tonight, you're in luck. You're going to be blessed. And I got to tell you something. I'm just going to be honest with you. I've had my socks blessed off. I have. I've had my socks blessed. And those of you that know me personally, you know that to be true. I grew up in a little holla. Okay? Melissa and I, when we first started, we didn't have much. And there was a time in my life where I didn't have any money. I had to pay attention. How's it go, Pastor Robert? So poor, I couldn't even pay attention. God has blessed my socks off. When God says he's going to do something, you can write it down. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. So I want you to catch that right there. You're going to be blessed for hearing this word, reading it, and apply it. Apply it. Apply it. 
Blessed is he that readeth, he that hear the words, keep those things, apply, which are written therein. The time is at hand. The time is imminent. The time is at hand. Remember the scripture, I think it's in 2 Peter, where it says, to God, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. God doesn't see time like we do. There's people walking around and sitting in the same, uh, the same book, 2 Peter, and they're saying, where's God at? You've been saying he's been coming back now for a long time. I don't see him. Where's he at? That's the ignorance of man. God doesn't look at time. He sees a thousand years as a day. It means nothing. It's always eminent to God. It's almost like the state of California. The state of California is always anticipating an earthquake. They don't know when it's going to happen. They just know it's going to happen. It's eminent. The time's eminent. The same thing applies with this book. These things that we're about to read about, it's imminent that they're going to happen. And when they begin to happen, and I'll discuss this with you, it's going to happen just like this. Boom, 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 boom. Seven years, seven years. All this is going to start happening. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is, which was, and which is to come. God is the first the last, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, and the end. He's everything and in between. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and we'll talk about the seven spirits of God, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. I told you, church, this is all about Jesus. Jesus is getting his due diligence. He's not getting spit up on anymore. He's not getting whipped with a whip. He's not getting nails put into his feet and nails put into his hand. He's King Jesus now. First begotten of the dead and prince of the kings of the earth and to him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hast made us kings and priests and to God and his Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he comes with clouds and every eye shall see him. They that also pierced him in all kinds and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. There's coming a day when Jesus returns and when those who pierced him and crucified him, they're going to see him and they're going to wail because of what they did. I am Alpha and I'm Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come. He's the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now there's a controversy here. I just want to talk about it real quick. This is my opinion. I think this is speaking of a day of the week, which would be Sunday. Now, if you argue that and say it's the day of the Lord, the period of time in which the Lord is going to bring about the tribulation, I wouldn't disagree with you. But it's my opinion that John is speaking about a day of the week because in its context, it wouldn't make any sense to be the day of the Lord as opposed to the day of the week. Everybody follow me on that? I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice of a trumpet. Wow. Remember the sound that's going to take place when Jesus returns? The sound of a trumpet. So John says his voice is like the sound of a trumpet. And he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, John, what you see, you write it in a book. And send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, 
Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, I've had people say to me, you see there, that's what this book's all about. Jesus just wanted John to tell the churches. That's it. Well, who else better to tell than the churches? Who else is going to take what we're supposed to do and teach it to the world? That was the best place to tell, the churches. Jesus told John to tell the churches because he knew what the result of that would be. They would carry it out to the world. So when he says, send it to these seven churches, it means that these churches were literal churches that he was going to tell, but it also means the church age. It means us today. We're to take this word and take it out to others so people can see. So those who are not saved, those who have not accepted Jesus, can see what's taking place in this book. And John turns around. He sees the voice that spake to him. And he saw seven golden candlesticks. Here we go. Our symbols are starting. And let Revelation, let John talk. And Revelation sometimes, it will translate the, the symbols for itself. If it doesn't, go somewhere else in the Word of God. It will. So you have answers to everything you see in this, in this book. In the midst of the seven candlesticks was one like unto the Son of Man. This is where we get to see Jesus. If you don't study this book, you don't get to see him. Now just look at this description we have here. Clothed with a garment down to the foot. That represents he's judge. He's deity. He has a long robe on. You ever see the judges? They have those long black robes. They're getting ready to judge. A girt about his paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. I'm going to go through some of these slides and I'll show you the definition of what all these uh, attributes of Jesus are. But eyes like a flame of fire. Jesus has x-ray vision. He sees into our innermost parts. I like to say, you can't fake Jesus. You can't fake Jesus. He sees through us. He knows what our heart says. He knows how we feel. John says he had eyes like flames of fire. We're going to talk about some of the people that we're going to see in Revelation. And I just wanted to put this out there because we're talking about what Jesus looks like. The Bible says in Revelation that those who worship God in heaven, they cast their crowns. These crowns are going to be rewards that we all receive. And that they cast their crowns before God. You know why they're going to cast their crowns? Because we're not going to feel like we're worthy to wear a crown. Jesus is going to give us a crown, but when we see Jesus, i got to be honest with you, church. i got to be honest with you, and I don't do it enough. If you can't worship God here, because that's all you'll be doing in heaven, i got to say something else. I don't think you'll be able to stand when you see God and Jesus. I don't. And we're going to see it right here shortly. I think you'll fall to your feet and lay prostrate on the floor as soon as you see him. Because you know why? Because we're going to be thinking about all the things that we did in our life that we shouldn't have done. And we're going to look at him and the Bible says that his white robe has bloodstains on it. And we're going to look at him. We're going to see the hands, his hands with holes, his feet with holes. And then we're going to remember what we did. And that's where we get to the part in Revelation that says, God's going to wipe away all tears. Because his blood cleansed us of all of our sins. That's beautiful. What a beautiful picture that is. I got to wake my phone back up. In the midst of the seven candlesticks were one like the Son of Man, 
hair like white uh, wool, as white as snow, his eyes flame of fire, his feet like fine brass. That's a representation of his power. Jesus is getting ready to judge. So that's why his feet are brass, as if they burned like a furnace, and his voice the sound of many waters. Can't imagine what that sounds like. In his right hand, he holds seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, the word of God. And he's going to use that sharp sword in the end to defeat his enemies, all enemies of all time. And his countenance was like the sun that shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, here we go, church. This is John. Remember who John is. He knows Jesus. He knows him better than anybody. And what happens to John when he sees Jesus? He falls like he's dead. And he laid his right hand upon me. Here comes Jesus, the compassionate Jesus, saying unto me, John, fear not. Because I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. That's the resurrected Jesus. Now we get to see King Jesus. We no longer see the Jesus hanging on the cross. Now he's king. God has installed Jesus now as King of kings and Lord of lords. And he will remain that way all the way through the book of Revelation. Jesus says that he has the keys of hell and death. And then here it comes, church. Write the things which thou hast seen. This is the most important part of Revelation. If you miss this part, you're going to miss the whole book. Write the things that thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So Jesus says to John, John, write the things which thou hast seen. John, what have you seen? Well, you've seen me. You've seen everything that we're talking about. The things that which are the churches, the church age. Chapters 2 and 3 are the seven churches. Those are the things which are now. We're in the church age. Okay? Don't miss that. And the things which shall be hereafter, the prophecy part of Revelation, the tribulation part. So John's going to get to see all of this in a vision. The mystery, here's Revelation defining what it just told you. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in the right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, these are not heavenly angels. These are pastors. These are messengers. It's translated. The original Greek and Latin tells us these are not angelic beings. These are pastors, leaders of the church, messengers of God. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So the symbols that was just given to us is translated right there in the book that we just read. I think, Pastor, I'm just about out of time. It's almost seven o'clock. Next week, next Sunday night, I want to go through chapters 2 and 3, as I said. These, these are the seven churches. Uh, I want to talk about those, the issues that they had during that time, and you're going to see that there's some of the same issues we have today. One of the ironic things I found uh, with studying the seven churches is Jesus never chastises them for the things we fight over today. The crazy things that we fight over. He never chastised those churches for those things. Which means what we fight over today is nonsense. We divide ourselves because we fight over little things. Instead of unifying, as Jesus said in John chapter 7, to become a strong army, we divide. And that, again, that's the work of Satan. He divides us because we're weaker when we're divided. So 
Next week, next Sunday night, chapters 2 and 3, we'll speak about the churches. And then chapters 4 through 18 get really good. Okay, I just want to tell you that. They get really good. And you're going to want to be here for that. And remember the blessing that you receive for reading, hearing, and applying this book. I want you to hear that. I want you to believe it. I want you to have faith in God that you will receive a blessing from this book for that. So I want to very reluctantly open the floor for any questions that anybody has. <laughs> and then uh, I'll do an altar call or anybody have any questions? Okay, we got, I guess I'll just run back here, huh? Is it? I'll do it. No, I'm good. If I don't know the answer, I'll write it down. I'll try to find it for you next week. Okay. So the 70 weeks in Daniel, um, you were, I was trying to get, keep up with what you were saying, but you said if you trace that, the time frame, it leads up to the Jesus' return on earth at that time. So is that also the 70 weeks, a shadow of the seven years of tribulation, two, twofold um, description of what that meant? Yeah. Okay, so this is, uh, let me do a little housekeeping here too. Let's try not to get too far ahead, but I'll answer that question. 69 weeks of Daniel's 70 weeks, if you multiply that by seven, if you got calculators, you can look at this. I think it comes out to 430. And the, the prophecy behind that is if you trace back, this is, this is, this is how God works, okay? It's, it's totally amazing. If you trace back to the book of Nehemiah where the temple was rebuilt, okay? At the beginning of Nehemiah, and I was talking to Randy Efall about this. So I, don't, I don't know if he's in the house or not. At the beginning of Nehemiah, there's a date. God puts a date there for a specific reason because it allows you to trace. 69 times 7 takes you back to that date in Nehemiah. And if you start with the rebuilding of the temple, which is part of Daniel's 70 weeks, it moves you all the way up to where Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. And then it says that he gets cut off, which means he gets crucified. Okay, so an angel comes to Daniel and tells Daniel, Daniel's a prophet for the nation of Israel. And if you notice in the book of Daniel, God starts referring to Israel as, his, as Daniel's people. It's no longer my people. And it's because of their rebellion and their disobedience. So God will start referring to them as Daniel. They're your people now. They're not my people anymore. Okay, so if you trace that timeline, 430 years takes you all the way up until where Jesus rides in on the donkey, and then three days later, I think, he's crucified. Okay, so that's the exact time. It's exactly, if you, if you study uh, prophecy and, and theology, it will show you that it's exactly 430 years from the rebuilding of the temple. If you read, Holly, if you read Daniel 70 weeks, it's exactly 430 years from the rebuilding of that temple all the way up until he rides into Jerusalem. On exactly 433 years. That's why he cries. Because he knew that the Jews should have known that. And they didn't. They didn't recognize him as the Messiah. So he cried because of that. And he said, as a result, your temple's going to get destroyed. And it's exactly what happens. Uh, so, so you got 69 weeks, which leaves one week and that one week is the one week of tribulation, okay? That represents seven years because each day represents a year. It takes, another, it takes you on another journey, which is another uh, subject. But the seven years, the, seven, the one week that's left represents that last year of tribulation that Daniel talks about. That's why Jesus says in Matthew that... You recall the prophet Daniel when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place. Daniel talks about that and Jesus references to it in the book of Matthew. And that's what he's talking about. We're, we're going to discuss all that. Really interesting stuff. Really interesting stuff. I'm telling when you, God's amazing. When you understand the word of God, when you study, when you get into it and ask God to reveal it to you, God's going to keep you up. He's going to tell you. He will. He, he knows your heart, and as soon as he sees your heart's ready 
to study and learn. He, he'll, he's, he's a good teacher. It, and God likes to be, church, I got to say this to you. God likes to be talked to. Okay, I want you to hear that. He loves to talk. I don't mean in an audible voice. I discussed this with you. I'm not saying that, you know, that's not what I'm saying. If you petition God for anything, I mean anything. I petition God for the craziest, littlest things. I really do. Melissa and I talk about this all the time. We don't petition you guys. We petition God. He, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's God. He created the world. Why not petition him? He's God. He's the great I am. He's Jehovah. Jehovah Jireh. Come on. That's who you want to go to. Don't don't go to us. Go to God. Okay, anybody, I'm getting off on a, anybody else? Anybody. I mean, ask him. Ask the questions. I mean, this, this is confusing. If it's confusing, say, hey, Lynn, this is confusing. I don't understand it. I'm going to try to explain it the best I can. And I think you'll understand it once we go through it. I'd like to see, uh, here's uh, some homework for you. I'd like to see you go out when you leave here tonight and tell somebody else and bring them in here and let them listen to Revelation, okay? It's a really fascinating book, fascinating book. Anybody else? Okay. Um, Every head bowed and every eye closed. I, I want to emphasize, uh, I, I, I want to talk to the, the, the church first, the believers, those that have accepted Jesus. If, I, and I just want to say this because I think this is what the Lord gave me to say. If your house needs cleaned, clean it up. Be ready. Jesus is coming back. The rapture could, could occur at any time, church, at any time. Be ready. You don't... I want you to hear my voice. You don't want to go through what we're about to study in chapters 4 through 18. So if you need to clean your spiritual house, clean your spiritual house. And for those who may be with us tonight that are not, that you haven't accepted Jesus. Accepting Jesus means that you're going to ask him into your life and you're going to have a relationship with him. And you're going to acknowledge your sins that you've committed and the Bible tells us because of his blood that he shed, it removes those sins from our lives. And only the power of the blood can do that. Nothing else can do that. So if there's anyone in our number tonight that hasn't accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, just slip your hand up. I won't, I won't come to you. I won't embarrass you. I won't uh, call your name out or look at you in a funny way. Just raise your hand. I want to linger here a little bit. I want you to go when, when, when Christ brings, comes and raptures his church, I want you to go with him. Anybody? Any hands? Father God, I, I thank you for tonight, God. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this last book, God. Father, for me... It completes your 65 books, Father. Father, I thank you for showing us your son in this book. Father, there's nothing that excites me more than to see your son, Father. And and my prayer for everybody here tonight is that we're all going to get to see him, Father. We're going to finally get to see your son, Jesus, and you, God. In this book, you say we're going to get to see you face to face, Father. I thank you for that. And Father, I pray for strength for everybody that came. I thank everybody who came tonight, Father. Father, I asked you to do as you said in this book, to bless each individual that's here tonight, Father. And bless them, Father, where they stand, Father. Bless them in the, in the ways, Father, that you know they need blessed. Whether it's financial, Father, whether it's their soul, whether it's their health, whether it's family issues, God, God, bless them where they are, God, because you know where they are, God, because of your, your vision, Father, into our hearts. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for our pastor. I ask you to bless this church, Father. Father, I ask that you continue to reign your grace, Father, and your mercy down on this church, Father. And I thank you for that grace and mercy. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Jewel City Podcast.